Welcome to the Old Vine Conference podcast, brought to you by the Old Vine Conference, a nonprofit organization galvanizing a global movement to nurture and value great old vines and their wines. The Old Vine Conference is dedicated to the protection, preservation, and promotion of old vines to create a commercially viable and sustained global category, and since its founding, has contributed exponentially to the awareness, understanding, and support of the global old vine movement. Join us as we uncover the stories and conversations from around the world with Old Vine champions discussing best practice, debate definitions, and share new strategies from vineyard to glass. Thank you very much for joining us. I am Belinda Stone, and this is our fifth Old Vine Conference community workshop. And today we're talking about the role that soil plays in a vine's ability to grow old. We're very happy to see so many of you here today. This has actually been our most popular session. With us today, we have got co-founder of the Old Vine Conference, Sarah Abbott, MW, and she is joined by Carolina Martinez-Oregone, Agricultural Engineer and General Secretary of the Conseco Regulador of Jumilla in Spain. The Conseco Regulador of Jumilla are the generic body members of the Old Vine Conference, and we were introduced to them by our amazing regional ambassador for Spain, Anna Harris-Noble, who is also here with us today. I'm going to hand over now to Sarah, who will introduce the workshop. She'll introduce you to Carolina and set the scene. Carolina will then present Soil for Survival, the key to Humia's resilient vineyards, after which we will be taking your questions. So with that, I will pass you over to Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Belinda. Hello, everybody. Lovely to see so many familiar faces. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah Abbott. I'm a Master of Wine, and I'm one of the co-founders of the non-profit Old Vine Conference. The aim of the conference is to shine a light on the many amazing projects nurturing old vines and old vine heritage all around the world, as well as to amplify the impact of those different projects and ultimately to create and really change the global market for wine so that the value of great old vineyards is actually reflected in the way that their wines are sold and priced so that we can keep more of these really valuable genetic heritage, just genetic resource, as well as qualitative resource actually in the ground. The Yumiya region, as I'm sure you know, are an important DO within the region of Murcia. So on the Mediterranean coast of southeastern Spain, it's a really elemental terroir. On paper, it looks like it may well be too, you know, it's it's hard yards for vines to grow in this area. But as we all know, the great grape wines always come from this knife edge of a, a struggle for vines. Caroline is going to give you more information about the terroir of the region. So I won't go into too much detail now. Just to say that really, I think Umia is a really great microcosm, almost of what's happening in Spain, in that this is a region that was previously known even 20 years ago was always being written of as the source of great value wine in Spain big bold wines principally from Monastrell for lots of references to rustic wines high alcohol deep color and actually one of the reasons for the survival of this region was that after phylloxera it became a sort of a source of stand-in wine the lost production of France in the last I would say 20 years though 
it's really emblematic of this enormous resurgence of the confidence and aspiration within Spain. And it's now one of the most exciting, thrilling wine regions of Spain, I think, especially for Monastrell. And there has been more of a return to this very old vine, Monastrell, despite the increase in international plantings that did happen in this region in the 1990s. So we talk about sometimes in a vine's ability to grow old. Actually, what I see when I research and learn about old vineyards from all around the world is it's a kind of accidental serendipity. I mean, it's a kind of piece of luck when these intersections of place, history, variety and soil kind of come together. And then you look back and realise oh, actually, we've ended up with this really inadvertently valuable and precious thing that a new generation is now working with to make really great wines. So um, um, I will hand over now to um, Carolina, who, as Belinda says, is the secretary and director of the Umia Dio. And thank you to the, the Dio of Mia for supporting the Old Vine Conference. It really means a lot to us that you're here today and that you're part of our membership. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Belinda. Thank you, Anna. Good morning, all. I'm Carolina Martinez Origone, the, the secretary of the Dio Jumilla. I would like to thank the Old Vine Conference for the opportunity to be here in the seminar, to be part of the conference, to showcase our amazing region and uh, of course the great heritage we enjoy in in Jumilla of old vines in our very very distinct terroir. I don't want to to be very long and I hope I can give my presentation quickly so we can go to the questions answers part. I would like to to go over some topics which I think are very relevant to get to know more about Jumilla. First, just where we are located. For those of you who don't know very much about Jumilla, we are located at this southeastern corner of Spain, very close to the Mediterranean Sea, yet inland. So the, the influence of the Mediterranean, I will tell you about, is quite important. It's comprised of two territories in Spain, Albacete and Murcia region. And the, there are seven towns which are part of the DO. As Sarah mentioned, the history of our region goes well beyond in time. There's confirmation that viticulture was somewhat present even 5,000 years ago with some archaeological remains of grape seeds, Vitis vinifera, that were found near our town, which of course is not proof that they were already making wine at that point, but of course that grape was already present in the area and therefore the different civilizations from the Iberians to the Romans to the Muslims and so on, well, they planted and they, they grew and they made wine with these amazing grapes. During centuries, as I said, uh, vineyards were already present in our region, but we have to go to the late 19th century, early 20th century to really see the boom of the wine industry in the region. It was with the phylloxera plague, as Sarah mentioned, that Jumilla really emerged as a very important actor in the wine production sector in Europe. This is because also 
the plague of phylloxera didn't really hit our region, thanks to our very unique climatic and soil and vineyard management properties. So the the humilla was like an oasis for vineyards during that period. The DO was officially established in in 1966, so we're almost 60 years old, which makes us one of the oldest DOs in Spain. And as already mentioned, during the past 25 years, there has been a very clear paradigm shift in the concept of the wine sector in Jumilla, from bulk, rustic, very alcoholic wines to high-quality bottled wines. And now I would like to just give you an oversight about the very distinct terroir we enjoy here in our area. As I said, we are close to the Mediterranean, yet inland. So we have influence from the Mediterranean in terms of landscape. Uh, what you see when you come to Cumilla is that we are a high altitude plateau sitting between La Mancha, a very plain, and the more mild Mediterranean coast, which is only 100 kilometers away. Our landscape is marked by rolling hills and white valleys that provide a variety of sites for vines and very different ranges of altitudes, slopes, and sun exposures. These mountains are mainly limestone material, so this geology is somewhat present in almost all of our soils. There are no rivers or important rivers that pass by our region, so uh, what's really marked here is the aridity of the landscape, of a lack of water, very scarce rainfall. So yes, the climate, as I said, is very marked by these arid conditions of lack of of rainfall and high temperatures, especially in the summer. Yet we have continental influence as well, being at this high altitude plateau, which is uh, what makes our vines thrive during the, the summer period, where the diurnal difference of temperatures is very marked. It's also a windy region, and this all helps to keep the vineyard very healthy during the growing and ripening period. This is the region of Humilla, and uh, we're undertaking a climatic zoning. It's what we believe that in these times of climate uh, change, we need to really have a deep knowledge about our climate. And given the fact that the region is quite big in surface, we have been studying the different climatic zones of and the vineyard surface where they are located to better understand and to uh, anticipate where future plantings should be put. So as you see here, we have five climatic zones where the majority of the surface of vineyard is planted in zone C, which accounts for 33% of the surface planted in Jumilla. And uh, zone E is just the, the peaks, the mountain peaks, so it's not really relevant in terms of vineyard. But to give you uh, the main factor that really makes this different climatic zones is the altitude. So zone A would be the lower altitudes and with higher temperatures and more sparse rainfall, whereas zone D, as you can see, is at the higher latitude. Therefore, the, the temperatures are lower and the altitude higher. Another aspect of our terrar, apart from landscape and uh, climate, is our vineyard, which I'm going to develop a little bit more further on. Uh, we have overall 22,000 hectares of vineyard located 
uh, between 400 and 1,000 meters above level in general. There is a big variety of slopes, sun exposures, and soils, given the, the, the big amount of surface we have. But what is something that is clear over overall is that the traditional bush vine is majority, is 75% of the vines are trained this way, bush or goblet style. There's no irrigation in the majority of the vineyard. The yields are some of the lowest in the world with average of uh, 1.5 to 2.5 kilos per bush vine. And uh, all vines cover are, are an important part of the area with at least 20% of the vineyard being at least 35 years old. This is a traditional plot in Jumilla with our bush vines with the three arms. The pruning style is of three or four arms and the very characteristic stony surface of limestone geology that covers the whole plot. Ungrafted vineyards are very important in our region, although, of course, with time, these vines are getting older and older and therefore being replaced. But ungrafted vines are an important heritage of the region because phylloxera, as I said, didn't really hit the region very hard. So we still have a big amount of ungrafted vines that were planted before the prohibition to plant ungrafted vines here in Spain that comes in the 80s or so. And we have around 800 hectares of ungrafted vines with original, their original, of course, European rootstock and what we call here in Spain, Pie Franco. These are sometimes... Um, uh, used with the acodo method to replace the empty spots in plots where uh, these empty spots need to be, uh, well, uh, to have another plant, of course. Sarah mentioned Monastrel is, of course, our signature variety here in Jumilla. However, it's not the, the only one. We have uh, around 16 varieties accepted and planted in our region, but Monastrel covers, as you can see, over 75% of the vineyard. Why is this? Because it's the best adapted, is our very indigenous variety. It's climate change resistant. It's really a true fighter against uh, drought and heat waves. And uh, it has a very distinct personality in terms of winemaking uh, wine from chalky, more uh, heavier uh, wines to these fresher, lighter reds that are uh, so much in, in trend uh, nowadays. So this, this variety just thrives in our region and with our very distinct features. As I said, there are other grapes accepted and planted in the area, being 95% red varieties. Some of them are international varieties, such as Syrah, Cabernet, Sauvignon, or Tempranillo, or Petit Verdot. But we have a very important amount, of course, Garnacha Tintorera and Garnacha, which are also indigenous of the, of the region and that slowly are um, gaining acceptance and are more sought after in the region. And that's what happens as well with our whites. Our white varieties, there was a time where white uh, grapes were much more abundant in the area, but the market trends shifted the, the weight to red varieties plantings. But we do have some 
indigenous white varieties such as Airen, Macabeo, Malvasia, or Moscatel, which are giving excellent results in white wines nowadays. And we also have some international varieties such as Sauvignon Blanc or Chardonnay, which are also being mixed with the other indigenous varieties, are also varietals wines that are uh, also being really sought after in the region. Now let's go to the soil aspect, which is the main the main purpose of this seminar. The why is uh, why are soils in Jumilla so important for the resilience of our vineyards? I would like just to point out first of all that we need to know, of course, that the variety of soils is huge here and everywhere. Within a small plot, you can find different types of soils. But in general terms, what we know in Jumilla is that our soil diversity is key to the thriving of the vines in Jumilla. Why is this? Well, mostly because of its calcareous and limestone origin, which is the material found in our mountains and with the decomposition of these rocks and the erosion of these mountains, more and more limestone material is coming into the vineyards. There are some sandy and gravel soils as well from the times where, uh, well, millions of years ago when Fumilla was covered by, by the Tethys Sea. Just an, as an exotic thing to point out, we have very small rocky volcanic areas in Jumilla, and you can enjoy some wine references coming from these volcanic areas. In general terms, our soils are very poor in organic matter, giving the aridity of the area. Petrocalcic horizons are frequent. These are hardened calcic horizons deep into the soil, which act as a barrier to capillarity, so it prevents water from evaporating so quickly especially in the summer moments. The textures from light sandy to more thick coarse rains provide good drainage as well and area. And the effective depth of roots is very important for, for our soils and for the well-being of the vines. All these help to achieve very good water retention, which is really the key to the well-being of our plants. As I told you, we have very scarce rainfall, very high temperature summers. So these limestone soils, so good at retaining the small amounts of water that falls down, are the key to the resilient vineyard in Jumilla. I want to just tell you a little bit as an example of how diverse the soils are in Jumilla. One of our wineries, our cellars, Viña Elena, undertook a semi-detailed soil study a couple of years ago in 50 hectare plot here in the northern part of Jumilla, they excavated some pits in the soil to better understand what they had below their feet and to be able to show their grower and the seller how to manage this vineyard with all this data that was obtained from these soil pits. This way, they could use this information to better understand their vineyard, to know how they should manage the vineyard during the year and during especially the harvest period accordingly to what wine they wanted to make from this vineyard. So in this pit one, we can observe deep soil with quite high effective depth. So roots can explore really good underneath the soil. And 
obtain as much moisture as they can. You can observe very clearly the sandy horizons with small clay spots that provide some organic matter to the vines growing here. In contrast, this other slide with pit two shows also deep soil with high water retention characteristics, also fine sandy texture and very low in organic matter. Pit three shows a more shallow soil and therefore with lower water retention capacity, given the compactation that is shown in some of the horizons, and is also low in organic matter. Soil pit number four, which is also a very deep soil with medium water retention capacity, sandy gravel texture, which you can observe in the upper horizons of the pit, and also very poor in organic matter. And uh, finally, uh, soil pit number five shows a very deep soil with very good water retention capacity, sandy textures, and very low in organic matter. So all these five soil types, which just looking at the picture, are very clearly distinct among themselves. It's just a very clear example of how diverse can a same plot be. It's, we're talking about a 50-hectare plot. But this same case could happen in a two-hectare plot or else. So imagine how diverse Kumilla soils can be, given the fact that we have over 22,000 hectares of vines. But there are overall common characteristics to our soils, which I would resume in the fact that their physical properties and help to have an amazing water retention capacity which is really the key to help the vineyard resist and thrive and provide high quality grapes in Jumilla. Just to finish, I would like to point out that the region is known for being highly environmentally friendly. It is also wine and viticulture are social and economic drivers in our region. But this sustainability management of the vineyard, I think, is very, very unique. In the sector, I've commented how arid is the region. So the number of inputs in the vineyard is really low with mainly some organic manure, animal manure, uh, no irrigation, no chemicals whatsoever. Organic farming is just in a way natural to us. There's no need to make preventive treatments to the vineyard. So this, together with the fact that the vines are small trees, right, that control the soil erosion, we're happy to say that viticulture is a true actor for the, the desertification and the climate change fight that we are all undertaking everywhere in the world. And that's, uh, that's what I wanted to tell you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Carolina. This conversation has been brought to you by the Old Vine Conference, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the protection, preservation, and promotion of old vines by connecting and inspiring the global wine community through a program of conferences, research, and education. Our work is funded via membership, sponsorship, grants, and philanthropy. Join our growing membership of wineries, trade partners, generic bodies, and individual wine enthusiasts to become part of our global campaign. Contact us via our website, oldvines.org, 
or DM us on Instagram at Our Old Vines. I wanted to ask you about this area around ungrafted vines. And one question I had is that, are you permitted to still replant ungrafted vines as long as it's through the Acordo method? Yes, by Spanish law, it's not allowed to plant ungrafted vines to prevent phylloxera from propagating more in the region. So new plantings should all be grafted with American rootstock or different clones and so on. However, in those old plantings that, uh, as I said, there are over 800 hectares in, in the region, uh, it's normal that there are blank spaces from vines that have, you know, they have died or that they just become too old, too weak. And in those plantings, old plantings, the Acodo method can be used to, uh, as I say, within those uh, plots to propagate the ungrafted vines. Um, and just to point out, I would like to highlight that we like to point out that old vines in Comilla should be considered, of course, 35 years old should already be considered old vines because with such harsh conditions, climatic conditions, it's very hard that uh, a vine can survive more than 100 years ago. I mean, it's just objective with this scarce rainfall with uh, so much heat to have a hundred year old vine is already something heroic in a way fantastic and could you just explain what a codo method involves yes. yes the acodo method is basically using the live shoot of course of one of the ungrafted vines of the Piafranco vines and introducing it next to the to the a live plant. In a way, eh, a codo in Spain, codo means elbow. Okay, so if you visualize the elbow shape of sort of an L, this shoot is introduced in the soil using this L-shaped method in a way that the shade, the degrees of this shape make this shoot, it will be cooler and more moist because there's sort of a shape that will be all all the time hitting the the shoot inside the the soil, and this cool and shaded part in depth will provide or will develop the new roots. That's why it's the L shape, so yeah. that there's a part that is shaded and will keep much more moist during the growing season. And does the child plant, if you like, remain connected? to the mother plant. It does, it does. Yes, this is the method that is often described in English, we would call it layering propagation. But thank you, Hannah Baldgate, for for asking that question. I've spoken to a few growers in um, Humia, and those who are working with ungrafted vines do see them as something special. Many of the top producers do seek out and work with these vines. Do you have an opinion as to why so many top growers are attracted to ungrafted vines? Is it because they're old or are there some other attributes of being ungrafted that they see as really valuable? Yes, uh, well, first of all, if they're ungrafted, means that they are old. 
in a way, right? Because as I said, since the 80s, it's not permitted to plant ungrafted pines. So yes, they would be at least 40 years old, right? So everybody knows, well, old vines are usually linked to high quality wines, right? And premium wines. So in terms of old, of course, and also in terms of physiology, we need to consider the fact that they are not grafted means that the, the sap in the plant can flow much more easier, right? Up and down. So the intake of nutrients and of water from the very long roots that are in the soil will just flow much better and make the plant, in a way, work with less effort, let's say. Yes. And also in terms of genetics, I think these ungrafted old vines are really interesting because they are, well, they are very diverse. There's a lot of uh, genetic diversity, which is always good in terms of selecting those plants that are more attractive for the grower and the winemaker. And they can select, do this uh, mass cell selection and then cloning or whatever technique is used for the propagation. So, so yes, I think ungrafted vines are, of course, really a true gem for the growers and the winemakers. Thank you. There's a good question that's come in from Bouchon, which says, does the water retention increase with depth into the soil? And if so, is Carolina fan moisture to be receding lower into the soil with droughts? So, you know, at what depth is the water kind of retained in the soils? Well, effective depth is really important for the performance of the roots in these soils. So over 80 centimetres deep would be a good effective depth. But this water retention is not only this effective depth. We need to consider as well physical properties of the soil, such as this petrocalcic horizons that I mentioned, these hardened calcic horizons that are found deep into the soil and which act as a barrier to the water capillarity. These horizons break the capillarity and so evapotranspiration is lower, especially in the very hot summer periods. Also, the, the, the very common surface full of lime, of limestone stones, this sort of crust full of stones that we see in many of the vineyards in Jumilla, this also acts as a barrier to this capillarity flow that needs to be broken in order to maintain as much moisture as possible. And of course, the management of the vineyard. Here, the traditional management is to to do mechanical plowing, to keep it free of weeds that could compete with the vine, and which also breaks this capillarity, um, which, uh, well, of course, is together with these physical properties, are the key to this high water retention capacity. So the Petro and Calchic horizons actually work in your favour because they break the capillarity and reduce evapotranspiration. Exactly. We, we have a, a saying here in the, in the Jumilla, or I'm not sure if you're gonna, I'm going to be able to translate it for you is that this petrocalcic horizon, this hard calcic horizon, is the responsible for the botijo effect. The botijo is the traditional ceramic container used here and throughout the Mediterranean, of course, 
to drink water, to store water in, in the houses and in the, in the countryside. And the ceramic containers, you know how they, how they keep the water. It keeps it cool for a very long time. It can be 45 degrees outside. You drink from this botijo and the water is cool, right? David asks, are there cover crops? I didn't think there would be very many cover crops because of the competition for water. Is that correct? Exactly. I mean, this is something that also needs to be known in our region. I mean, of course, we would like to have our vineyards covered with natural green grass, right? But here is we're uh, very close to the desert in a way. So the very little weeds that grow are usually pulled out to prevent this competition. And as I mentioned before, to break the capillarity of the of the soil and reduce the evapotranspiration in the summer periods. Amazing. A good question from Anna Harris-Noble, which is, is there a particular soil type that the oldest vines tend to be found in? I would love, Anna, to answer that question more. Uh, <laughs> Go on then, Anna. <laughs> but uh, we would need to really undertake a very thorough soil study, very detailed in terms of scale, to know this. From what we know from our growers and our wineries is that these old vines, many of them ungrafted that we've talked about, are located in very diverse soils, in Jumilla. But as I said, the majority of these soil types have this common denominator, which is limestone materials and very high water retention capacity. And another question about soils from Belinda. How does the soil change as the altitude increases? Also, a very thorough soil study, soil map should be carried over. But it's not so much about altitude, I think, as, as a fact of geology and the morphology of the different plots. Because we can find similar soils in, say, for example, some of the pits we've, we've seen. We can see them located at around 800 meters above sea level. I explained how how many different soil types you can find there. What we can say is that there is a clear link with the vineyards located at the foothill compared to the vineyards located in the shallowest points of the valleys. But this is not really determined by altitude because the shallow valleys could be located at 400 meters or at 800 meters. And so in the shallowest part of the region, we will find more sand from erosion. And in the foothill of the mountains, we will find more stone, more coarse material, and therefore more hardened calcic horizons. Thank you. A very good question, which I suspect could prompt a long answer, which is, would it be possible to know more about the practices winemakers in Humia are implementing to combat desertification, in particular superficial soil degradation? Yes, this is something that is really a concern in Humia and, of course, on, in the rest of the world. Of course, we need to fight desertification. So mechanical plowing, although it's recommended, as I said, given the, the, the arid conditions we have, should be done with care. I mean, mechanical plowing should always be done when the soil has the right moisture. If you plow when the soil is really, really dry, 
you will lose centimeters of soil. And the top centimeters of soil are the, the ones which contain the highest amounts of organic matter, which is so scarce as well in our soils. So plowing should really be something that growers take into consideration and not just plow when they have uh, the time. Just a quick follow up on that. Are there principles and new developments in regenerative agriculture being followed by the region and growers in the region? Yes, absolutely. Apart from organic farming, which is, as you know, a very general set of practices in agriculture, we do have some growers using biodynamic methods as well and regenerative agriculture as well to try to enrich their soils. But I would like to point out that in our region, given the fact that inputs are so low in terms of fertilizers, of phytosanitaries, of chemicals in general, soils are quite chemical-free, so they are quite healthy. And what they lack the most is organic matter. And in that sense, good quality organic animal manure is used. Uh, it's recommended that every two, three years, it's used in the soils to, to enrich it and, and to enhance the soil texture and the soil properties. And also when you prune, right, the shoots, you know how in other regions they are incorporated into the soil to also enhance organic matter and the soil properties. But in our area, we need to consider that given the fact that it's so arid, you cannot just put it into the soil and expect that this rest of, of pruning will be incorporated into the soil. This, this needs to be composted in a way so that before being incorporated into the soil, they are in a way somewhat degraded and their beneficial characteristic may be absorbed into the soil because it rains so little that you cannot expect that they will be decomposed naturally so easily in the soil. Thank you so much to you for your great insight, knowledge and openness. Thank you to all of our guests. If you are in the UK, just to bear in mind that there are some wonderful examples of these old vine wines from Himia, from Monastrel, available in the UK, from producers like Juan Gil, Casa Castillo, Bodega Serron, uh, widely available, beautiful wines. And, and I know also there's very good availability in the US. So please do seek out the wines. You won't be disappointed. My colleague, Belinda Stone, who's the Director of Membership and Marketing for the Old Vine Conference, has got some exciting news about our next April field trip. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Carolina. Really interesting session. We have got a field trip to Humia towards the end of April, 22nd to the 24th of April, where we will be discovering firsthand some of the soil pits that uh, Carolina has shown us today and visiting some old vine wine producers in the region. Old Vine Conference field trips have become more important to us over the last year, and we've actually held four already in Europe. This will be our second one to Spain. For anyone listening, you know, the trips are for trade and for media. And if this sounds like something that's very interesting to you, please do get in touch. We have criteria to meet for the guests that, that join us. 
but we would love to hear from you if uh, if that's of interest. My contact details, Belinda at oldvines.org. Do send me an email about the field trip if you have any questions to do with what's being discussed today. If you want to reach out directly to Carolina or to Sarah, I'd be very happy to hear from you. And do sign up to our electronic newsletter. But for now, thank you all for your time. Thank you for joining us and for being part of the Old Vine Conference community. And we look forward to seeing you at the next workshop. Thanks very much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Old Vine Conference podcast. We hope you'll join us again next time for another great conversation. The Old Vine Conference podcast shines the spotlight on inspiring and informative Old Vine stories around the world, helping to build a community and spark a conversation. If you enjoyed what you heard, please help us by sharing this episode, rate us on Apple or Spotify, leave us a comment, or become a member. You can find all the information you need on oldvines.org and follow us on Instagram at ouroldvines. 